And I had a lot of trouble raising venture capital. Uh, only less than 2% of all venture capital dollars go to women. Uh, 0.2% go to women of color. Um, I think that, you know, every industry is ripe for disruption. Venture capital has traditionally funded that disruption, and it's time that they're disrupted themselves. Samsung brings statistics about venture capital from someone who's trying to disrupt that industry. This is Changing Careers, a podcast about the changing nature of MBA careers and how MBAs can change their careers. I am Conrad Chua. I was in New York and caught up with Ashwini Anburajan, an entrepreneur with a background in journalism. We will learn about how Ashwini built a startup and the challenges she faced in getting funding for her company. Ashwini will talk about how she decided to pool resources with other founders and issue an ICO or initial coin offering. As always, we start with Ashwini introducing herself. Sure. Uh, my name is Ashwini Anbarajan. I graduated from the MBA in 2010. So in the past eight years, I have uh, worked at startups, mostly, BuzzFeed, then launched my own ad tech company called OpenUp. Then I started a crypto fund called 22X. And um, yeah, have been an entrepreneur for many years. Ashwini, we're, we're speaking in, a, well, I guess it was a really hip area in Brooklyn. Can you sort of describe the area that, that we're in? Yeah, we're in a former warehouse district in Brooklyn called Bushwick. It's where all the parties happen, if you're into house music. <laughs> um, and it's a huge artist's enclave as well. Um, but recently, in the past three years, it's become the home of blockchain globally. It's where Consensus, which helped launch Ethereum, is located. And it's part of something called the Blockchain Triangle in Brooklyn, which is Bushwick, Gowanus, and um, Greenpoint. And it has one of the largest concentration of blockchain companies in the world outside of places like Zug in Switzerland. And um, we are right now in this really big, open, giant, former warehouse space that's getting turned into a blockchain accelerator and also a luxury hotel and innovation hub um, in, in Brooklyn. So it's, it's quite large and uh, it's big and it's open. And it's interesting, you started um, your career actually in journalism and, and BuzzFeed, et cetera, but now you're really interested in crypto and you've started a, a, f- a very interesting 22X fund. Can you tell us about, about how that started? Sure. Um, I was an entrepreneur that was a female founder in New York, I had an ad tech company called Open Up, and I had a lot of trouble raising venture capital. Uh, only less than 2% of all venture capital dollars go to women, uh, 0.2% go to women of color. Um, and so I found it very, very difficult. So I managed to bootstrap my company for many years and raised a small angel round. And then Last summer, I got accepted to 500 Startups Accelerator, which is one of the top three uh, startup accelerators globally. And when I went out to San Francisco, the accelerator told me, um, we think you're great. We're, you're great at sales. We just felt like investing in you. But we think it's going to be very hard for you to reach venture capital. You have, a, you have an ad tech company. It's not like a sexy market. Um, this is going to be hard for you to do. And I was very frustrated. 
And at the same time, the founders in the batch that I was with, there were 36 companies, like 50 founders. We were, everyone was buzzing about crypto and ICOs and, um, you know, kind of this new blockchain. And I hadn't been exposed to any of it, but I was very curious about ICOs because companies were raising $200, $300 million from these massive crowd sales. And it looked like an alternative way to raise capital for my own company. And the founders in the batch decided that we were going to do an ICO together, that instead of just trying to raise venture capital and going out and competing in a market that was actually pretty small, we could go to a global group of investors, retail investors, that would want to invest in our companies, that could receive cryptocurrency in exchange for that investment, and that currency could be liquid and tradable. And so it was a very novel idea. Essentially, the founders were saying, we're going to create a venture fund. We're going to tokenize that venture fund. We're going to create a cryptocurrency off of it. And we're going to use the money to invest in ourselves. And uh, we, you know, it took a lot of work. It started last August. We're only closing the fund now. And it's September, um, more than a year later. And we managed to, you know, raise a lot of capital and create a whole new way, I think, for, for startups to, to, to get funding. And I think really try and disrupt a system that has a lot of flaws in it. So do you think venture capital firms should be worried that more and more startup, promising startups like yourselves are going to go the crypto route? I think they're already seeing it happen. And they're choosing to either participate in these types of rounds or give funding to companies that are going out to do ICOs. Um, I think that you know, every industry is ripe for disruption. Venture capital has traditionally funded that disruption, and it's time that they're disrupted themselves. So for an individual, um, I guess, does this mean that now individuals have an opportunity to invest in promising startups by purchasing a token uh, through this 222X fund? Whereas before, you had to be quite a high net worth individual. You had to either be involved with venture capital, etc. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think that that change is slowly coming. Um, I think there have been some changes in the United States around accredited investor rules that allow more people to participate in um, these types of investments. Um, and I think that the whole purpose of it is that, you know, there's a lot of beauty in the offering that we put together. We put 30 companies together, now 22 companies, where they, we pooled our equity, we were issued a cryptocurrency off of it, we eliminated carried interest, so that like the full returns are going back to the investor. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And so you're getting a diversified investment without having to be a high net worth individual. You can invest $1,000 and participate in our sale. Um, that's unheard of. Doesn't exist uh, as, a, as an option. And so it is a very first of its kind offering. It's very new. And it's, it is designed for a retail. Now, because of, depends on the country that you're in, because of U.S. rules, you still have to be an accredited investor. We have some of the strictest securities laws in the world. Um, but in other parts of the world, you can just be a regular person buying this and trading it. 22X1 was one of the first security tokens uh, that was created and issued. So what were some of the challenges in, in creating that token? Oh, my God. It was, I mean, it took us, we started talking about the idea in the last week of July of 2017. We didn't bring it to market as an offering until January 16th, 2018. It took so long because most people thought we were crazy. Our 500 startups hated what we were doing. They thought we were crazy. Um, they, we, we, we compromised with them and they said, 
complete the program like you're supposed to and like we invested in you to do and we won't interfere. Um, every law firms didn't want to work with us or thought like, you know, that we shouldn't be doing what we were doing. Um, it took a long time. And then, and then the idea of even a security token was a new idea at that time, right? It's security tokens are more common now. People are using that term. They're able to understand the difference between types of tokens, but that was like actually pretty new to the market as well. Um, in last summer, I mean, this is a market that shifts quickly and changes quickly. But it, that was a very new concept. So that was a lot of people didn't want to invest because they felt that it would lack the speculative quality that cryptocurrency traditionally has. There would be restrictions on who could buy it, how it could sell. It would be regulated in a way. And the whole point of crypto was not to be regulated. Um, people were very taken aback that a group of founders would try to fund themselves and create a venture fund. How dare you? <laughs> you know, like, how can you do that? How can you create your own valuations? How can you, like, kind of do this? Um, why? Why would you do it? Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of pushback. We were t we were inventing it as we went along, so we didn't know exactly what to put together and do. Um, so it was uh, it was pretty challenging. And the way that it you know my biggest lesson from Cambridge has always been like you know kind of like cooperate and work collaborative ethos, right? Like work as a team. And I that was one of the most interesting team dynamics I've ever had, where you have a bunch of CEOs of companies coming together to work together to issue something brand new, essentially create a company from their companies. And that was, that was incredible. I mean, we ha and we had a consensus model, so we all had to agree. Um, and eventually we instituted voting because you just couldn't all agree on things. Um, but we would vote, we'd formally vote on things in order to, to, move, to move the idea forward. Uh, so all of those things were huge challenges, and um, they were, you know, part of the dynamics of bringing this to, to the marketplace. What do you think needs to happen for more women to join startups? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things in the market. The less than 2% of venture capital dollars go to women. That's unheard of, and it's ridiculous, right? As a woman founder, when I went out to raise venture capital, people would say things like, you're great. You should come work for me. You know, that's like, it's a backhanded compliment. Like, you know, when you look at it, like, I don't like see you as being able to run your own company, but you can come and work for my company. Um, and it would infuriate me, you know, when I was raising money. And, uh, and I, and there is, there's just, it's, there's a lot of sexism in the industry. That is why doing an ICO and raising money in this way really appealed to me. I felt that if I could find a new way to raise capital, and if I didn't have to stand out there alone, as a woman, but I could be part of a group of companies and I could be a group of founders, I would actually have a greater chance of actually getting investment to be able to, to run my own company. And so that was why the ICO and 22X Fund was very appealing for me. I think that there has to be change. And I think the biggest change is I've always felt like, you know, sometimes if a ship is deeply flawed and designed badly, you need to just in, you need to build a new ship, right? And in my opinion, venture capital is designed to be exclusive. It's designed to only invest in a few companies. It's not designed to spread money across lots of founders and lots of different companies. So you have a huge problem when you are trying to use a system of exclusive investment to broaden capital displacement and investment into a broader group of people. There's just a natural conflict that exists there. Um, do I think, and I think people are trying to fix the solution by getting more women to become investors, um, you know, trying to create programs to start, support female founders. And I think that's all good. 
I think we have to catch up to guys a lot. I think what you're starting to see in programs like Y Combinator, 500 Startups, where they're really kind of pushing themselves to invest equally in women and men, um, you're starting to see that the awareness itself is starting to create change. Um, and I think that that's great. That that's a great thing, and you're starting to see the system change. But I think it's it's just challenging overall. And uh, for me, I'm not really interested in changing the old system. I'd much rather build a brand new system that's based on inclusion and diversity, and um, kind of spreading the wealth, right? Including all kinds of investors, as well as all kinds of startups and startup founders. You mentioned your startup or uh, open up. Um... Can you tell us a bit more about what that does? What, is, what was it trying to solve? OpenUp was solving the problem of um, better data for brands. Um, what the biggest problem, and we've all heard this joke, right? Half my dollars in marketing. I spend half of my budget on marketing. I just don't know which half. Um, but it, it is actually like a real problem. And there was a lot of, I, was, I got very interested in data because of the work I had done at BuzzFeed. And I got very interested in consumer behavior tied to advertising. And I felt that true brand advertising, the impact of advertising of content on how people behave is something that you could only see if you could see their true data set uh, online because we live digital lives. And so, and then I also felt very strongly that consumers needed a better way to participate in this. They were using ad block and do not track. And so could we build a system where consumers are incentivized to share their data with brands and brands get a better look at consumer behavior? And that was the problem that OpenUp was trying to solve. And the opportunity, I think, that we had. And so we built a machine learning system. Well, we built, like, two things. One was that a system where brands could incentivize consumers to share data directly with them. So browsing history, social behavior, mobile apps, et cetera. And then we used that to build a machine learning algorithm that we used to call Riot, Real Interest Over Time, that would predict the likelihood of someone, after they were exposed to advertising, their likelihood to buy a product or be interested in a product. I, I have to confess, I'm one of those consumers that, that you probably hate because I have ad blockers, etc. Um, and I, it's just because I, I, I get so creeped out by these ads that seem to follow me across different websites, etc. But on the other hand, I sometimes think, you know, when I finally end up buying something, you know, it's a, it's a slow process. And somehow some websites just never, you know, they gave me, the, they developed that interest in my interest in the product or I investigated through it and those websites never benefited because it's only that end click. So in a way, is that what OpenUp was try- is trying yeah, to do? We did, we did a lot of that type of work. We would rank kind of like the influence that like content would have on a purchase journey. Uh, we would kind of show and you can see, you can, like if you can see your true browsing behavior, which is a fascinating thing to do, you'll see your own influence over time, right? And it is a slow purchase journey for most consumers. Many consumers, most advertising solutions uh, for the internet was, were not designed with like kind of think, they were designed to get you to see the ad. They were not designed to think about how is this ad making you feel? How do you want to interact with this brand? What is the long-term effect of me following you around the internet and feel like I'm spying on you? Like these are things that were never designed for and I think need to be corrected in the system. Um, you know, people say blockchain can change that. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, and I know they're, they're doing a lot with blockchain to try and incentive, like, you know, kind of get people to like get incentives for their data and trading it and owning it and sharing it. Um, I think we have a long way to go because a lot of our data is locked up with places like Facebook and Google. Um, and you know, you actually can't get access to it. Um, 
So there's there's a long way to go in in terms of things like that. But that is sort of like, you know, kind of that was the thought process that I brought to the table in starting the company, because the irony was like I worked in media. I worked in advertising. I was a journalist and like worked at NBC, which was supported by advertising. But I've always been an ad block user, you know, and I you know, so that that's the irony of it. So you have to you know there. But that doesn't mean that there are other there isn't advertising that I like or I'm interested in. It's just that you want that balance. So if we could transport you back in time to the time you were do, doing your, the one year you were doing your MBA, what is something that you feel like you, you should have done during that time in business Study school? Study more. Study. <laughs> That's a good one, by the way. Yeah. Definitely party less, study more, I think I would say. MBA was a lot of fun. I think that I just wasn't focused. I didn't, I was so new. I came straight out of journalism. Like I'd had no business background. So I just didn't even understand all the possibilities in front of me. Um, I wish I'd spend more time networking. I wish I'd spent more time just like kind of studying and learning about industries. I had this desire to work in startups, like right after the MBA, I went out to San Francisco to look for a job. I couldn't get a job at a startup. I came back. This company called BuzzFeed was willing to hire me, but nobody had ever heard of them at that point in time. Uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was a very difficult job search and process leaving Cambridge because we were in the middle of a recession, remember? Um, so that was, that was really challenging. And I think that, you know, I, I think the best thing that, you can do when you're in a place like Cambridge, you just have so many resources available to you to like, just be a sponge and try and take as much of it in. You know, I mean, one of the things I wish I had done was probably do the entrepreneurship track. But, um, you know, maybe it would have helped me <laughs> doing what I'm doing now. Like, I never saw myself as someone that would go out and start a company when I was at Cambridge. Like, that was not the ambition at all. So if someone um, comes to you, they've doing an MBA or just about finishing and they say, I love to go into startups, right? What would your advice be to them? I'd say just do it. You know, go apply for jobs, go help out with projects, work part-time on the side. That's one of the best ways to help out with a startup um, and see, see where it takes you. Because like opportunities come to you as you get involved and get interested in things. That was Ashwini Anburajan on how her career has moved from journalism to startups and now an ICO. It was my first visit to Bushwick, and the energy from the startups and construction activity was just intoxicating. I don't know that much about ICOs, but I will keep an eye out to see how 22X grows. A quick shout-out to Olulua Daramola, who tweeted that Changing Careers is his most played podcast this year. He loved listening to episode 29, where Sarah Ishak talked about digital strategy. Thank you very much, Olulua, for those kind words. It really means a lot to me. I also want to let you know that this podcast is now available on Spotify. You can still subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts if you prefer. Regardless of the platform, please leave a rating and review. It really helps others discover this show. Till next time, this is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers. <laughs>